Welcome to One Golden Moment. I'm your host, Benjamin Coleman, and I'm joined once again by Ryan Chen, Justin Kim, Lucas Perkins-Brown, and Tom Eisenberg. We have a lot of NBA discussion to go over today, so we're going to start things off by talking about some NBA news and recapping the conference finals, and then we're going to jump ahead and preview and predict the upcoming NBA finals that tip off very soon. But before we look ahead to those NBA finals, let's look back a little bit and talk about some shocking news that just came out of Los Angeles yesterday at the time of recording, which is that the Los Angeles Clippers have decided to move on from their head coach, Doc Rivers. Now, on the last episode of the podcast, we had a pretty heated discussion about whether or not the Clippers would blow things up this offseason or decide to run it back. And it seems like from this move, they've decided to make some big changes in the offseason. So I want to hear your guys' initial thoughts about the Clippers' decision to fire Doc Rivers. Uh, I, I know in this last episode, I kind of predicted that the Clippers uh, wouldn't really blow things up yet. And I still kind of stick with that uh, assertion. Now, coaches, but let's be real here. Coaches come and go. So I, I, I wasn't necessarily predicting that uh, the Clippers should necessarily fire Doc Rivers because I do think he's a good coach. I think they should have given him one more year. Um, But I don't think they're going to make any major changes with their roster. I think they're going to keep Paul George. I think they're most definitely going to keep Kawhi Leonard. Um, Maybe a couple minor trades here and there for the role players. But even with the firing of Doc Rivers and the hiring of a new coach, I still stick by my assertion that I do not think the Clippers are going to to change up their entire roster. Yeah, uh, I was sort of – I wasn't expecting them to uh, fire Doc Rivers this quickly, but I'm also not, like super, like, super surprised either. But honestly, I don't know if it was the right move. Um, the whole point of firing a head coach, I feel like, is to bring in a better head coach and – I'm not 100% sure there's a better head coach on the market right now that will be willing to accept this job than Doc Rivers. Uh, and going along with the point about what Ryan said about the Clippers like blowing it up, I don't think they should blow it up. Uh, if they want to, the only real trade pieces they have are like Lou Williams, Harrell, and Paul George. I think Harrell is a free, restricted free agent this summer, but let's just say he stays. Uh, I think trading trading Paul George wouldn't be smart because his value is probably at its lowest at his lowest right now, and I think if they want to trade him, they should at least let him perform a little better in the regular season and get his trade value up. And so, like the same thing with Lou Williams, I mean, he wasn't too hot during the bubble, so I think they should if they want to trade, they should wait a little bit longer into next season, and also they get to have the benefit to see if it like still works out next season. So I think they should wait till next season to blow it up, if anything. But I don't think it's the right move to blow it up right now. 
Uh, I personally think that it's not the worst move they could have made. I mean, if you look at like where the Clippers are standing right now, uh, Paul George had said a few times that well, we never had like a win now mentality, but this has to kind of sort of send a message throughout the entire operation that we want to win now and nobody is expendable, not even longtime head coach Doc Rivers. Listen, he's had a chance to win with uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin on a few different playoff runs and he's came up short and now he's slated with last year's finals MVP and possibly an MVP candidate from, you know, a few years ago or last year. Um, you have to just kind of think that this is kind of just sending a message to the entire organization that once again, like nobody's expendable. Uh, we want to win now. We like, we want to win as soon as possible. I don't particularly think that they're going to be trading people left and right. Um, but I have to, I have to think that the next coach that comes in is not essentially going to be guaranteed a five-year, you know, contract that keeps them around forever. I agree that I do think the next coach probably isn't going to be a long-term coach because they're going to want to see if Kawhi Leonard leaves. So it'll probably be a one or two year deal. But I think the Clippers should just do whatever Kawhi asks them because at least then if it doesn't work out, it's what Kawhi wanted and it'll make him more inclined to stay even if they don't win. Because that should be their priority right now. Do whatever it takes to make sure he resigns at the end of next summer. Because if he leaves, then you traded away all those draft picks for nothing. Because Paul George isn't that valuable. He's not that productive. They don't have that many trade pieces because Marcus Morris is a free agent. Harrell's a free agent. So the only things they can really trade are Zubats, Lou Will, and Paul George. Maybe they can improve the roster that way. But I think firing Doc Rivers was the right move because he's won three playoff series in seven years with the Clippers. That's, that's pretty bad. Frank Vogel won three playoff series in one year with the Lakers. I mean, how do you blow two 3-1 leads in the second round to inferior opponents? I mean, I guess the Nuggets aren't inferior, but like, the Clippers were very heavily favored, and you had the best player in the series. It's pretty pathetic. I mean, I think Doc had to go, and I think there's more moves to be made if they want to have a chance to win next year's championship. Absolutely. I think the Clippers are in a very tricky situation right now. I would not want to be the Clippers GM because I think it's tough. Doc Rivers has been with the Clippers for seven years, took them to the playoffs six of the seven times, helped them overachieve last season. I think everyone agrees that he's definitely a good coach. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Tom, he blew two 3-1 playoff series leads. And I think he's probably not the answer that the Clippers need right now. And so I'm very curious to see where they go from here. I think this is the most important offseason potentially in LA Clippers history because this is going to dictate the next few years of where their franchise goes from here. And I think while a lot of people would want to be the Clippers coach and see it as this desirable job to work with some high-end players, I think on the contrary, it's probably the most pressure-filled head coaching situation out there because you have these immense expectations to win now and to win quickly. Plus, you're dealing with this locker room that has maybe not a real leader and a bunch of basically just chemistry issues in between it. And so I think it's a really tough spot, and I'm curious to see what happens next for the Clippers. So I guess, do you guys have any other thoughts then on what's going to happen next for the Clippers? Maybe who they bring in for head coach, um, the moves they should make, and maybe if they will be able to successfully turn things around or if they're in trouble for the next few years. I mean, I, I think that 
it it makes sense why they fired Doc Rivers, but to Justin's point, I mean, who who are the available options? You have Mike D'Antoni, you have Tyron Liu. Um, beyond that, maybe a couple others. But I mean, if we're going to compare these coaches, I I do think Doc Rivers is the best out of the bunch. Now, yeah, Tom, uh, to your point, he hasn't had too much postseason success, but uh, this was his first year with the Clippers. Um, and I, with the Clippers in terms of uh, Kawhi and Paul George and this new roster, um, I, I really do think they should have maybe given him one more year to kind of figure things out. And yeah, I mean, if he did, didn't produce for the next season, then go ahead and fire him, find a new coach, sign a one-year deal with that new coach and see how well, how well they do. Um, but that being said, now that Doc Rivers is gone, I do think hopefully they can, I mean, for the Clippers' sake, hopefully they can find someone who will fit in, will fit in better. Um, and I, I do think it's, it's going to depend on, yeah, you're right, Tom, like who Kawhi uh, wants to play with and, and what coach Kawhi specifically gels well with. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see, I don't know how he, how he would fit, but I'd love to see Mark Jackson on the sidelines again. Uh, he sort of planted the seeds for a dynasty in Golden State, and I'd just love to see him on the sidelines again. I know he's, he's one of the best, like, passing point guards of all time, and yeah, hope, I don't know. I'd like to see Mark Jackson, though. Um, in terms of new coaches, yeah, I like Justin's idea with uh, Mark Jackson. Um, you know, Mike D'Antoni just left the uh, Rockets. They're thinking, you know, Docker versus next destination is going to be the Sixers or Rockets. Seems like there's like a little revolving door going around the NBA with coaches lately. Uh, I also kind of thought like, you know, why not give like a female coach? Why don't we go with like Becky Hammond for an option? You know, she coached under uh, Greg Popovich for a few years. She even you know, had a few head coaching stunts when he was out and stuff. Tim Duncan also ran that too. I'd like to see a fresh face kind of take on the role of the Clippers. I mean, especially if they're not going to be there very long anyways. Like we kind of figured that they're not going to be a long-term coaching option then why not kind of, you know, take a shot in the dark on someone that, like, hasn't really gotten an opportunity yet? I'd like to see a fresh face in there. And I feel like we also have to remember, too, that it's, it's, it's the coach's game plan, but it's the player's job to execute. We can't blame Doc Rivers for his team performing so poorly in, especially his two star players who are, like, supposed to be there in the moment. Can't really blame Doc Rivers for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard not performing like good at all in game seven I don't really blame those performances on Doc Rivers you could say yes the game plan probably wasn't thought out correctly it wasn't executed correctly how he had imagined it and that is why they came back down three that is why they blew a 3-1 lead but for us to sit here and say oh well Paul George and Kawhi Leonard played bad because of Doc Rivers to me just doesn't like sit right I agree the players do deserve blame obviously as well but I, I think if this was Doc's first year as the coach of the Clippers, I'd be like, yeah, keep him. Like, the players, you know, they were just bad. But he's, this is his third 3-1 lead he's blown. He clearly has, like, some issues with blowing leads. He's blown also, I think, a good amount of 3-2 leads. And he, other than the 8 Celtics, where even then he went to two seven-game series before the finals, he hasn't really – he's underperformed with a lot of teams. Like, with his good teams, he underperforms. And with his bad teams, he overachieves. But, you know, like, overachieving with a bad team doesn't really mean that much. So I do think a fresh face is needed. I agree that I think a new head coach would actually be a really good idea. I think Chauncey Billups, he's never coached before, and I don't know how good he would be, but I think he would be really interesting on the Clippers. 
he's uh, currently there. He works on the sideline for the Clippers, and I think I think he could be an interesting fit there. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many interesting names that you guys brought up. I think one of the best things for the Clippers and for Doc Rivers is that there's been quite a coaching carousel this offseason. So Doc Rivers will likely find a home somewhere. And at the same time, I think the Clippers will be able to get a new quality head coach who they think has potential. It's just this head coach better be good because it might be the last chance they have to have a head coach that helps them win with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But I think no matter what, the Clippers will be the team that are perhaps under the most scrutiny going into next season. I definitely think te- other teams that disappointed, like the Bucks and the Rockets, got to be really happy that the Clippers are taking all of this attention. I think even on this podcast, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Clippers and not enough on other teams. So let's move into those other teams a little bit and talk about some very exciting conference final series that just wrapped up. The first one we're going to get into is over in the Eastern Conference between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. This was a very good series. The Heat managed to prevail in six games. Let me, get, let me know your general thoughts on how this series went. Really, really great series to watch. Um, I think we all kind of anticipated um, it would be a, a hard-fought battle. Um, and, you know, Miami edged out Boston by only two games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these, these two teams, right, these two teams don't really have any superstars, per, per se. You can argue Jason Tamey, you can argue Jimmy Butler, but they're, they're certainly not on the level of LeBron or Anthony Davis um, or maybe even Jokic. Um, they're, both of these teams were, have incredible depth, um, and I think that's kind of why we predicted such a good series, uh, because there wasn't necessarily one standout star that was going to get you 30-35 every single game. Um, I guess, as we've seen, Miami's just the better team. Um, Tower Hero had a really awesome game, um, in which he scored over 30 points. Um, but for the most part, um, these, the, all of the players kind of went toe-to-toe with each other. Um, and I think that in itself was just, was just amazing to watch, to see um, kind of that team chemistry that was built in and ingrained in both these teams. Yeah, I have to agree. It was a really exciting series. Personally, my favorite moment was when Andre Iguodala went off in, like in the final game uh he went five for five four for four from three and I thought that was just like vintage Iguodala in the playoffs like he did that time and time again for Golden State and it was nice seeing that again and uh I was really I was really impressed with Tyler Hero's performance the 37 point game I mean 20 year old on like the biggest stage of his life really like came in clutch that's pretty much my thoughts on the series I thought Boston was I wish I could honestly, I wish I could have seen Gordon Hayward more. I know the game he came back, he only had like three points, a couple like basically small stats across the board. But in the game he came back, I thought he had he made like a pretty good defensive impact. And even if he didn't make an offensive impact throughout the series, I think his presence, they still somewhat respected his presence. I think that opened up the lane for uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Also, Jalen Brown like did really well. Cal. Uh, former Cal basketball player, so I got to support them. But, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, I thought down the stretch this uh, particular series was going to go to seven games, but, you know, the Heat got it done in six. Um, 
I mean, game, I mean, game six. Yeah. I mean, Justin said it. I mean, they, they really caught fire. Andre Iguodala went off. Uh, Duncan Robinson had 15 points. Um, they, they actually only shot 13 for seven for 27 on, you know, on threes as you know, Boston ended up shooting, I think well over 40, maybe over 35, something like that. Um, it, it, I feel like it'd be kind of an easy excuse to say that the Celtics need like another option, but you know, they have Kemba and Gordon Hayward. Um, I would almost go as far to say, or maybe ask like, is Brad Stevens job on the, on the line here in the off season? I mean, he's had plenty of chances too to turn this team into a championship contender. And he's also came up short multiple times. Uh, but the Miami heat, you got to give them credit. Like they're, they're a gritty bunch. They beat the bucks in five. They beat the Celtics in six. I mean, a lot of a lot of pundits in the you know media have them beating the Lakers in seven just for the meme. Um, I don't know if I agree with that per se, but they're gritty. They they let you know they like to get after. They play really, 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 really good defense. They shoot the ball well. I mean, they're compared to the Golden State Warriors when they went on their championship run. They have great team chemistry. Um, I can I can see it being a very fun championship series. But yeah, this series went about as how how I expected it. I had Heat in six, and it was Heat in six. I think what surprised me was how Boston kept blowing big leads because Boston, honestly, they I think they outscored the Heat or they had the lead over the Heat during for, like, a majority of the series. And the Heat still won 4-2. wasn't even 4-3. So I think Boston kind of underachieved their talent in this series. But I think overall in the season, they overachieved. So I don't think Brad Stevens should go. I mean, there's not a better coach out there. And this just isn't the, – the core that the Boston Celtics have right now just isn't a championship team, unless Tatum and Brown get a lot better, which they might because they're really young. But I don't think there's really any problem. This was a good season for them. They should be happy with uh, how it ended, even though it wasn't, like, as good as possible. It was still better than what I'm sure many people expected before the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think just overall, this was a super refreshing series to see not two super teams with superstars go against each other, but rather just some overall very well-rounded teams with good coaching, good depth, good star players as well. And this was, I think we all can agree, was generally a very fun and exciting series. Now, in the end, the Heat did find a way to move on. You talked about, Tom, how clutch they were being able to make those comebacks, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Heat when we preview the NBA Finals. So let's talk a little bit about the Celtics and where they go from here. I think overall, as you guys said, the Celtics should be pretty happy with this season. I think they overachieved. They seem to be ahead of schedule a bit with that young core. But they probably need to make a few more moves before they can be serious title contenders. So I guess my question then for you guys is just, where do the Celtics go from here? I honestly think Boston keeps the squad that they have. Um, I think to your point, Tom, I, yeah, J let Jalen Brown and let Jason Tatum kind of develop because they're very young players um, and they have a lot of promise in this league. Um, I think that they should also keep Brad Stevens. Uh, Brad Stevens is a, a great coach um, and they really kind of, overachieved in, in making it to the Eastern Conference Finals, as did the Heat. Um, I think, I mean, if you compare this squad to uh, the one that Brad Stevens had when Kyrie Irving was there, uh, clearly uh, they did much better this year. Um, and I think it really just depends on 
what the players, what players Brad Stevens has. And uh, as we've seen uh, his weapons that he has right now uh, kind of complements his style of coaching. So I, I do think that they should just keep everything for the most part as it is um, and let the young potential superstars uh, develop and flourish. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think they should keep their core of at least Jason Tatum uh, and Jalen Brown. But I also, I think they should keep Kemba Walker. Uh, I, Kemba Walker did underperform in this series, though, in this, like, recent playoff series. I mean, you can't shoot 30% from three on, like, in games, in the most important game of the season. And you have to do better than that. I know he's, like, he's, like, barely six foot and it's tough in the playoffs, but I think you definitely have to do better than that. Uh Gordon Hayward, I think they should trade Gordon Hayward and Ennis Cantor. I like Gordon Hayward, but they have too many elite wings with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and I think they can't use Hayward to his full potential. But I'm not sure if trading Hayward right now would be the right move. Uh, his value is probably at his lowest. He didn't do, he didn't put up great stats or uh, stuff. Yeah, he didn't put up great stats basically in this most recent playoff series. And I think they should wait a little bit into next season if they want to trade him. Uh, and Ennis Cantor, he did not do too much uh, in this series. He's a great, he's a pretty decent offensive center. But other than that, other than that, um, he doesn't really provide much on the defensive end. I like Daniel Tice, honestly. It was a pleasant surprise. I didn't know too much about him uh, before the playoff series, honestly. But he, I, I did see how he did in uh, game seven. He played pretty well. But I don't think you can have him as your championship piece. Um, I think you're going to have to, I don't know, I think he's a great backup center or possibly uh, maybe maybe we put him at the four, but I'm not sure. I think you need more more of an interior presence if I was the Celtics. So I think making a move with Gordon Hayward or Cantor would be good because I still think Tice is valuable to them. Yeah, I, I agree with the uh, Daniel Tice thing you said, Justin. Um, to add on that, I, I, I actually kind of believe that maybe move him and Marcus Smart to the second lineup and, and think about moving some people upwards. I, I think you also keep Gordon Hayward in the second lineup as well um, and possibly look for draft picks that can play around uh, Tatum, Walker, and Brown, who I think were better than pretty much everyone else on the court. I actually really do like Marcus Smart. I just, I just kind of feel like we can – like you could possibly find a better – two guard or three guard maybe to put him there or maybe just go a little bit bigger and put another center and a power forward there uh, and you know put Kemba at the one Brown at the two and Tatum at small forward um, I don't really think there's really a lot they need to make to in like to their actual roster uh, I, I think a lot of it is development and I think that'll come in time um, but I, I really like I'm not really sure how I feel about this uh, Brad Stevens narrative going forward. Uh, I mean, you, you got to kind of think that upper management, you know, general manager, whatever is, is like knocking on his door for a contract or maybe a coaching switch. Um, he, he hasn't won anything. I mean, I get what he did in the, you know, in the past with Butler, he brought them to two national championships and he did that with literally like hardly any five-star recruits, if not any at all on the roster. And he ended up, you know, coming up short twice. And, like, that's an amazing – that's actually a pretty unbelievable feat. But what we're looking at here is, like, a young Boston team that you could argue should have gone to the NBA championship this year and didn't. So, from my point of view, it's not like I believe he should get fired. I 
sort of just think that he's, you know, had, he, he's, his time is definitely numbered. I think his years there are definitely numbered if he doesn't win now. And it doesn't seem like that in the moment, I guess, but maybe another year from now we'll be saying something different. I don't think that's very fair to Brad Stevens because I think he's overachieved overall. I mean, the Celtics haven't had, you know, a title, a real title contending team since the Kevin Garnett days. So they're making three conference finals with Brad Stevens. I think that's pretty good. Not every te- only one team wins a championship every year. So you can't just fire your coach when you go a couple of years without winning the championship, especially when your best player has been like really young players like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Like that's not like a title team. It just isn't. So the, you can't fire the coach for overachieving. I think that's – I don't think that's very fair. And it's, in terms of off-season moves, I don't really know what moves there are to make. I mean, they don't really have – I mean, they could make a trade, but I don't – I don't think you should trade, obviously, Brown or Tatum, Kemba Walker. It's hard to trade him for someone that's going to be better. Marcus Smart, I really like, but I think he takes too many shots. Like Jalen Brown, I don't think he got a shot attempt in the last few minutes of the game. And Marcus Smart took more shots than him overall. And that's something that really shouldn't be happening. That's maybe a coaching thing. Make Marcus Smart shoot less. Let your stars shoot more. But otherwise, I think they're just going to bring this team back. I think they've got a good team and a good foundation. And I think with more development and maybe some small role player tweaks, maybe get some more bench depth, maybe they can do something next year. Yeah, I think I agree with all of you guys. The Celtics have this good young core, and I think it makes sense to stay the course together Jalen Brown and Tatum and Walker Um, we have a little bit of disagreement I guess on what they do with the role players what tweaks they make and then also of course whether or not Brad Stevens should stay I think I agree with the majority of you guys in that good coaches don't just grow on trees and I think this team is good and still on the rise I don't think there's a need to shake things up just yet but I do agree that if the Celtics falter in the next couple of seasons then maybe it comes time to take a look at Brad Stevens's job. But that's going to wrap up our discussion for the Eastern Conference Finals. Now let's jump over to the West, where we had another very fun matchup between the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers. This was a good series, despite it only going five games. I think it was closer than it seemed on paper. We had some very great matchups, some good buzzer beaters. Overall, very exciting playoff basketball. Let me know your general thoughts on how this series went. Yeah, it was a good series. Um, I think it was predictable that the Lakers were going to win it um, and that Denver would get at least a game off of them. Um, but my key takeaways are that uh, Jamal Murray and Jokic, they're, they're a scary duo to come in the NBA. Um, and I think Murray has just kind of outperformed a lot of my expectations, at least throughout this entire uh, playoffs. Um, and it, he just keeps on impressing us uh, just with his kind of arsenal of uh, offensive techniques and uh, ways that he can score the basket. Um, and I, I know Michael Porter Jr. kind of mentioned this in the series before where uh, when they're down to down games from uh, the Quippers, uh, Michael Porter Jr. kind of said to the media that um, their game plan, the Nuggets game plan was kind of too predictable because they kept passing it to Jokic. They kept feeding it to Murray. Um, and he kind of wanted to be more involved with the, their offensive uh, game plan. But uh, I mean, even with that said, the Lakers knew how good Murray and Jokic 
are and were in that series, um, but they still had standout games. It's just that the Lakers are um, just a really well-formed team and there's just really no stopping Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, AD's game two game winner was, I think, definitely the most important shot of the series. Um, and the Lakers are just looking really good for the NBA Finals. I think they have the momentum and they have kind of the chemistry down by now. Um, they've won every single one of their series uh, 4-1. Um, and I expect um, that they'll, they'll carry that momentum through into the Finals. Um, and if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I, I think that a Nuggets-Heat Finals would have been more exciting to watch because I think they're more evenly matched teams. Uh, but we, we saw what the Lakers were able to do against the Denver Nuggets. Um, and I think that kind of, um, that kind of alludes to what may come uh, during the, the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things from the series was Jamal Murray, honestly. I wrote an article that talked about the top five players who were 23 and under, and I did not put him on the list. But after this playoff performance, it looks like he definitely is on that list. I mean, his like offensive arsenal is insane. There was one shot where he like did a spin move and shot it fading with his left hand, and that was probably one of the most like difficult shots I've seen. Uh, another thing that sort of stood out to me was M Michael Porter Jr.'s confidence uh, taking big shots. I, I think he took a couple, a lot of big shots in the fourth quarter and he made them. I think he could have some more, he could use some more court awareness though. Like, for example, one thing that stood, sort of stood out was, I remember there was one play he pump faked and LeBron jumped past him and he waited for LeBron to come back to him, to guard him. But he still made the shot, but I thought like just things like that, I think he could improve on. Um, another thing that I sort of liked is probably going to be a little bit of a surprise, but I like KCP's performance for the most part in the Denver series and so far in the playoffs, honestly, but mainly the Denver series. I mean, he shot above 60%, above 40% from three for four out of the five games from, uh, for the Lakers. And I think he definitely is, he was a key factor in them winning. And he was one of the main defenders on Jamal Murray and who helped slow Murray down. So that was probably one of the most uh, surprising things for me from the series. I know he gets a lot of flack from Lakers fans, but yeah, <laughs> I think KCP was definitely a key factor in helping the Lakers win. Yeah, going off of that uh, with Ryan and Justin, it, it's pretty obvious. Um, the Nuggets went healthy and, you know, firing all, on all cylinders, like they're the real deal. Um, I, I think not so much my biggest surprise. I think like the big thing I saw out of the series, so, sort of a difference maker was, um, I mean, people were saying, you know, playoff Rondo and whatnot, but I would go with Rajon Rondo. I think taking the pace off LeBron James uh, in the last few games coming off his injury has very much so helped the Lakers offense kind of, you know, get jump started by a point guard who just kind of reads defenses decently well. His defense has been pretty good. His shot making has been pretty good. Um, the pace at which he plays has been also very good for the Lakers, I think. Um, I think the surprising thing about everything was probably the fatigue factor that played on both sides. There were some points where I had figured that the Nuggets were like running out of gas. In reality, they had just played two back-to-back -back game seven series in a row. So I feel like the extra games in a way sort of would carry them on into the next series. They, they would look tired at some points, but then at other times they had almost looked like they were less tired than the Lakers and the Lakers had looked more fatigued than them. 
I think that'll be something to look for in the next series because the Lakers have won every series in five games. But I wonder how the fatigue factor would be for the Lakers going through, with, you know, against obviously a very gritty up and downhill team like the Miami Heat in a championship playoff series. This was a good series. And I think the fact that it went five games, like when you look back on it, it's not going to – the five games aren't indicative of how the series was because every game except for game one was pretty close. Even game three, when the Nuggets were blowing out the Lakers, they still came back. And I think it was only a, a six-point margin of victory at the end. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic really like played really well throughout the whole playoffs, especially against the Lakers, too. Jamal Murray was really good. I think they took people by surprise because they weren't as good in the regular season. They're both good players, especially Jokic in the regular season. But in the playoffs, they both just like turned it up and became really special. I mean, Jamal Murray became one of three players to average 25 points per game on 50-40-90 with at least 10 playoff games. And that's just – like, the other people are Larry Bird and Kawhi Leonard. So that's, that's just insane to join those names because he has never even made an all-star game. He's created, like, 18-point-per-game score. So Denver really played awesome. And I thought the series was going to go six. And it almost did if Anthony Davis didn't make that game winner, which was pretty cool. So Denver, Denver's really good, and I think their defense was better than advertised, too. They were only, like, the 16th best defense all year, but I think in the playoffs, their defense is trying to be better than that. Yeah, absolutely. What a special run by those Denver Nuggets. Uh, the Cinderella story did come to an end, but I think we can all agree their future is very bright. As a Canadian, I'm so proud of Jamal Murray. He really came into his own this postseason, and, of course, Nikola Jokic was amazing as ever. So things definitely are looking up in Denver. I guess a follow-up question that I have is, what, if anything, do the Nuggets need to do to kind of position themselves to win a title soon and to push to become a championship contender? Or do you think, as they are, they're positioned pretty well? Well, I, I think like the Boston Celtics, you got to keep that young core. Uh, you got to keep Murray. you got to keep Jokic. Uh, but I also see promise in uh, P.J. Dozier and Bull Bull. Um, you saw in game two when they threw in Dozier and Luke, Luke to your point, um, fatigue did play a huge factor in this. But when they did throw in Dozier in that game two, the Nuggets almost came back. It, if it weren't for Anthony Davis's miraculous uh, game winner, they, they would have made it back in that game and possibly won it um, and tied up the series. So I think Dozier, and, and that was in large part due to Dozier, he just needs to work on his free throws, if anything. Uh, but he really brought a kind of this revitalizing energy to the team that I thought is maybe supposed really good for the future. Um, and then Bull Bull. I mean, I, I think he's kind of a fan favorite. Everyone wants to see him play more. Um, I'm just, you know, this league is, is a small, small ball lineup, uh, very small ball lineup oriented. Um, but I think it would be very very fun to see a lineup where you have Jokic, Bull Bull, and Michael Porter Jr. all in the, the same lineup. Yeah, it would be a very, very slow team. But, I mean, who, who, who would stop them in the paint? Um, in addition, Jokic and Bull Bull can occasionally shoot that three ball. So um, they're not confined to just the paint, uh, but they would grab every – Every rebound imaginable, in my opinion. Um, and also, I think they, they should find kind of a replacement to 
uh, for Paul Millsap, who, who is uh, at this point kind of a veteran in the league, um, and Mason Plumlee. Plumlee uh, had that fatal error of, of kind of getting onto LeBron on, in game two in that final seconds when AD shot the game winner. Um, Plumlee was supposed to get on AD, and I'm not sure where his head was at when he switched to LeBron, uh, but he just left uh, Davis wide open for that three. Uh, pretty much uncontested, uh, and Jokic had to almost uh, bail bail Plumlee out. But um, yeah, I think final replacement for Millsap and Plumlee uh, keep the young uh, core for now. Yeah, I think they should definitely keep their young core intact. Uh, I think they should develop Michael Porter Jr. Mole and Bulbul. I think Michael Porter Jr. has the potential to become an elite wing in this league. Uh, although they're like young, they're a young team and with young teams, we typically feel like they're going to eventually, we should, we should like wait on them. I think they should try and fast track their development to develop MPJ and Volvo faster. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like they're paying Jokic max dollars. They're paying Murray max dollars already. MPJ, even though he's a rookie this year, he's already two years into his uh, rookie deal. And rookie deals are when you're the most cheap. And he's going to be asking for some, I know he's going to be asking for some money once that deal is over. So they do, like the time is ticking still and they don't have unlimited time. So I think they should try and bring in some more, I think they should be in win now mode, honestly. And they should try and bring in some more veterans. Although Paul Millsap, his stats weren't like, like weren't crazy or anything. Uh, his presence, def I know his presence definitely helped. Like in game four, when he got in a scuffle with one of the, I forget, I think it was Mark, uh, Mark Marcus Morris is the one of the Clippers. Marcus Morris in game four, it definitely sort of helped the Nuggets gain some momentum back. I think having like a gritty veteran like that is definitely helpful. So I don't know if they want to replace Paul Millsap. I mean, depending on how much money he earns, I'm not too sure of his contract, but he probably earned, gets a pretty penny from them. Um, I think, honestly, it sounds kind of out there, but maybe try and bring back Melo, Carmelo Anthony. I think he'd be a really good mentor for Michael Porter Jr. They're both pretty ball-dominant players, and I think Melo could give some good advice for Michael Porter Jr. I know this Michael Porter Jr. was shooting pretty much every opportunity he got. And I feel like Melo could probably see some similarities like with himself, with uh, Michael Porter Jr. They're both not the best defensive players. The only thing with Melo is he still has a lot of offensive talent, like still has a lot of uh, offense in the tank. So I'm not sure if him take Melo taking up, like I don't think Melo would accept the role of just being a pure mentor. I know he'd want to shoot and like take up a lot of shots. So maybe... I'm not too sure about that, but I feel like it'd bring out more positives than negatives. Um, and honestly, I was, before this playoff, I was skeptical of Murray, a Murray and Jokic core, but now I'm pretty, I feel like they've definitely uh, convinced me that they should remain intact. So yeah, I don't think they're, they really have to make too many moves. Mike Malone, also great head coach. Uh, I think maybe they could trade Gary Harris, possibly. Uh, I don't know how, I think they could maybe bring in a different shot creator. Uh, he wasn't playing, I know he was injured. He came back from injury, but he didn't play too well this series. And he just took up, he, and he's not like a, tr like a terrific defender either. So I think maybe we're like trading Gary Harris. I, and he, he, he does have values. So, yeah. Yeah, Justin, going off that point, um, I, I think at this point you have to be in sort of a, I, I think as you said, it's like a win now mode. Uh, I, I would assume that, what the Nuggets are going to look for in the future is to 
not just build around Jokic, but to also build around Murray too. That might have that might mean giving up Gary Harris for someone different. I mean, I I know Bradley Beal just bought this house in Los Angeles. If somehow they could get their hands on Bradley Beal, I feel like that would be a very interesting uh, dynamic between Murray and Bradley Beal and Jokic. I feel like that'd be really interesting. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen specifically because I think the you know Bradley Beal is also looking to win now and a market that he wants to play in that looks like it's going to be Los Angeles somehow. Um, but you have to think if they're going to find players that they're going to have to play players and find players that are going to work well with and around Murray and Jokic because if you obviously watched the offense, everything had ran through the pick and roll high screen at the top of the three-point line between their guards and Jokic. Um, I see this team succeeding for a long time. I'm not really positive what they need to do now to win now. I feel like they have the pieces, but a lot of it is going to come down to development. The organization itself seems to have a lot of faith in Gary Harris. I think it might be time to move on from that. Um, I like the way MPJ played. I also like, Ryan, how you talked about, you know, maybe going big and, you know, doing the MPJ, Bull Bull, Jokic, uh, lineup. I, I really like the way that sounds if they can all play well together. Um, I feel like the longer you are in this day and age in the NBA, it's, it definitely can work to your advantage. There, there's a lot of the, the good thing about this Nuggets team is that there's a lot of possibilities and there's a lot of doors they can walk through. And it's just going to kind of depend on what they decide to walk through. Um, I, I'm not really sure how many players they should give up. It, like going back to Justin's point, I think Gary Harris might be the one obvious one. I actually really do like Millsap too, so I feel like keeping Millsap around is a good idea in terms of veteran experience. But I like where the Nuggets are right now. I really like where the Nuggets are right now. Yeah, I think the Nuggets are in a pretty win-win situation right now. They can do nothing this offseason, and I think that's still fine for them. Or they could package some other pieces like Michael Porter Jr. and Gary Harris and maybe get a, a Drew Holiday-level player or maybe someone better. I think that Anything you do this offseason is probably going to be fine and will probably improve them. I mean, they're young, so just the fact, just keeping this core will make them better next year or trading for a better piece would make them better next year. I think Millsap's on the last year of his really expensive deal. So if they can resign him for maybe like a veteran minimum, that would be good. Otherwise, they shouldn't let him go. They should definitely get, bring back Jerry, Jeremy Grant. He was really good for them, and they've said that he's probably going to opt out of his player option because he thinks he's worth about $15 million on the open market, which sounds about right. So he should be their number one priority this offseason, honestly. Yeah, I think overall the Nuggets have a very bright future, and I definitely agree with you that if they keep their core intact and make the right small tweaks, they have the potential to be a title contender for years to come. I think to wrap up our thoughts on these conference finals, I see some very interesting parallels between the two teams we've talked the most about so far, which are the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets. They're both these very youthful teams with some young stars, great depth, very well coached. And I think they both arrived ahead of schedule this year, overachieved and made some pretty great runs to the conference finals. And so while they may not have won this year, I think as long as they make the right adjustments, the future is very bright for both the Celtics and the Nuggets. But now let's move away from the future and talk about the present because we have a very exciting NBA Finals matchup coming up with no shortage of storylines. The Miami Heat out of the East will be taking on the Los Angeles Lakers from the Western Conference. 
we're going to break down this entire series. But to start things off, I just want to know your guys' thoughts on who you think has the edge, both in terms of star power and then who has the edge in terms of depth. I think, I mean, I think this is indisputable. The Lakers definitely have the edge in star power. Um, with that being said, though, the Heat have better depth. Um, the Lakers have good role players, don't get me wrong. Um, but the Heat have a deeper lineup. If you just look at the stats alone, um, the Lakers have no other player besides Anthony Davis or LeBron James, who is averaging over 15 points, uh, whereas the Heat have uh, four players averaging over 15. Um, the, the Heat, what got them to this championship or to the finals um, is kind of their team chemistry. And the Lakers are pretty much reliant on LeBron and AD. Um, but ultimately, I, I think that uh, because the Lakers kind of have uh, this, this greater star power, um, I think they'll have the edge in the finals. Yeah, I definitely agree with Ryan. I mean, Lakers definitely have more star power. I mean, AD and LeBron, they're both all NBA, first team all NBA players, uh, all star starters. And while Miami still has two all stars of their own, Jimmy Butler and uh, Bam Adebayo, uh, they're both, I don't want to say fringe all star candidates, but I mean, they both came off the bench in like this year's all-star game and yeah I mean Lakers definitely have them in the star power uh, department but in terms of depth uh, I think Miami definitely has them out like definitely has more depth than the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers don't really have a reliable third option at all. I mean KCP has been pretty stable in the playoffs but it's always changing. I mean sometimes it's Kuzma sometimes it's Rondo but no one's like always no one's ever really like a super consistent presence. I guess Rondo in the playoffs, but he can't really affect the game like too much when you have AD and LeBron on your side. Um, Miami, they have so many players. I mean, they have Iguodala who can go off in any given game, especially in the finals where I feel like he thrives. Um, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and they're two all-star players. Even like Kendrick Nunn, I know he hasn't played at all and he probably won't play that much, but just the fact that they have like their bench warmers, Kendrick Nunn, who's a rookie of the year candidate is like insane to me. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's funny. I mean, it's pretty much like Ryan said, indisputable Lakers have uh, more star power and Anthony Davis and LeBron James overall, like elite star power. Um, if you went back eight years, you'd probably say that the Lakers have better depth too, but at the same time, you know, Tyler Hero is in middle school, if not grade school. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty much like, you know, Lakers have the star power, Heat have the depth. And in you know, recent times, we, we have seen that the team that has depth has trumped the star power in some sense. But in, in this series, I, I just don't see it really happening. I think every round of the playoffs, I've always seen, so the Lakers have the best two players, but the other team has like the next best seven. And it's like, this, that no, that doesn't matter. And it's also not even true half of the time. Because you don't just line them up like that, and that's not how basketball works. There's five players per team on the court, and the Lakers will have the two best players for 40-plus minutes of those 48 minutes. That's huge. And the gap from LeBron and AD to Butler and Adebayo is a lot bigger than the gap from Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow to KCP and Danny Green. The role player gaps are really small. That's why they're all role players. They're, only, they're all within like this small group of players who are like, average slightly above average slightly below average players all superstars are like way better so i think that's huge and the lakers have the most playoff experience out of any of the teams in the league 
I before the playoffs started, I went and I counted the games, every playoff team, every, every playoff team's players, all of their playoff games they played, and the Lakers had the most by over two hundred and fifty. And Miami was maybe fourth. They weren't. They were pretty close to that top area. But the Lakers had a huge lead, and so I think that finals experience, the playoff experience, is going to be huge here. They have more top end talent. They've got the two best players, and. I think the coaching matchup is going to be really interesting because Vogel and Spolstra, this is their fourth time matching up in the playoffs. But this time, Vogel has LeBron. And the team with LeBron has won every time they've matched up. So will that trend continue? I guess that's yet to be seen. Yeah, I think you raise a really interesting point, Tom, about some of those factors like coaching and experience. So I'd like to get into that a bit and have you guys talk to me about who you think has the edge in terms of intangibles. So that's Again, factors like coaching experience, the things that aren't just pure star power or talent. And then I'd also like you guys to give me maybe an X factor for each team. I, I think both Vogel and Spolstra are excellent coaches. I think maybe Spolstra, ha- Spolstra has that edge um, just by the mere fact that he took the heat to the finals. That says a lot. Um, plus, you know, he, he's, he's had LeBron on his team and uh, Spolstra helped out LeBron uh, as much as LeBron helped out Spolstra to to get each other uh, those championship rings. Um, so I think Spolstra kind of has the edge. Uh, but like I said before, the star power for the Lakers is just too big, uh, too big for them to fail. Um, now, in terms of the X factor, um, I'm going to say LeBron James. Um, now, that's not to say that I don't think he'll, he'll – uh, overperform um, I'm just saying that if if there's any reason for the Lakers to lose this series it's going to come down to LeBron James um, but he you know he's been here for now 10 times which is like you said Luke more than half of his uh, years as a player he's been able to make it to the NBA finals uh, now and he's proved a lot of doubters wrong and and getting to the NBA Finals now in the Western Conference, um, he knows how to win. And yeah, maybe he's only won three out of those t- ten times, or three out of the nine times, but um, he, he still knows what it's like to be in the Finals, what kind of pressure the Finals kind of places on a player, um, and, and he knows how to, to win at least some of those uh, Finals matchups. So um, I think he'll be kind of the X factor, which is to say – if the Lakers fall to the, the heat, um, it's most likely going to be a result of LeBron just underperforming uh, for whatever reason and caving into the pressure. Um, but which I qualify by saying, um, I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think the Lakers X factors and, I think Lake. I think Miami has one main. Like they both have. I feel like both teams don't have like one exact X factor. I think they have multiple. Like Miami, I think Duncan Robinson and Andre Iguodala are probably the two biggest X factors. The defense will probably be focused on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Even Tyler Hero. I mean, he's probably sh- showing up on the scouting report now because um, he he pretty much is their like third offensive option. So I think that leaves a lot. That's gonna leave a lot of space for Duncan Robinson to definitely hit threes, and they're gonna. They're, the game plan is going to be to leave Iguodala open. He's not statistically. He's not like a. He's not even like a good three point shooter. So they're gonna play by. They're gonna play the numbers. Uh, for the Lakers, they 
definitely don't have like a single X factor. They have, to me, they at least have five. I think Caleb Cruz, KCP, Danny Green, Rondo, Dwight, pretty much all the role players. Uh, they're all pretty streaky besides like, honestly, like Rondo and Dwight in the playoffs. Uh, Dwight, he's been ring, like pretty, he's been remaining like pretty consistent, honestly. He doesn't really have that big of a role. It's just to play defense and rebound. And that doesn't really, I feel like that can't really alter too much every single night compared to like Kuz, uh, KCP, uh, Danny Green, they, all those players pretty much rely on scoring. Uh, Danny Green, he's looking a little bit slow in the defensive end. But anyways, like they definitely, those three, Kuz, KCP, Danny Green are probably the three biggest X factors just because they're so streaky. And if two, at least two of them or even one of them goes off on a given night, then I think the Lakers have like a pretty good chance of winning. Um, in terms of intangibles, I want to say Miami, but like, I mean, it's not by a huge margin and I don't think intangibles will really play a huge role in this considering that the Lakers have overwhelming star power with LeBron and Anthony Davis, but even the Lakers have a lot of intangibles and they don't get as much credit for having like players with these intangibles. For example, like Rondo, I mean, he's a great passer and honestly, he's been a pretty good like on-ball defender uh, in the playoffs. I mean, he was picking up Jamal Murray full court. And even though he didn't do like, he didn't like lock down Murray or anything. I mean, he definitely made it a little bit harder. And that's what, that's really the only thing you can do with great scores. And Dwight definitely, I, I think he went over the, like, I think he was a little over the top with bothering Jokic. He got a little bit too many fouls uh, than he should have. Um, but anyways, like, I think Dwight has a lot of, I mean, that's pretty much all they have, like, that's all Dwight has to do is bring his intangibles. His, uh, for like he's a former defensive player, three-time defensive player of the year. I mean, he's not he's not a scorer anymore. So all he brings is intangibles. Yeah, uh, starting with intangibles, I think I think game plan and and coach, as like I guess you could say I guess you could say like the relationship between game plan and coach. I think the edge is gonna go to Spolstra. Uh, I think he. Sort of, I mean, I'm he coached LeBron obviously in his prime. I, I think he's going to kind of have a better understanding of how LeBron plays and coordinates the basketball with his teammates better than probably anybody else going into uh, this final series. So I think Spolster will definitely be ready to pull a few tricks out of his hat in order to deal with certain things that LeBron does in crunch time situations or, you know, just habits that LeBron does have in general. Um, in terms of X factors, uh, I, I think I'm going to go with Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green on this one. Uh, Kuzma's been pretty streaky throughout the playoffs. There's been, and even like the start of the bubble, there's been times where he's looked pretty good. There's been times where people have literally said, why is he taking that shot? Danny Green has yet, in my opinion, to have a breakout three-point uh, streak sort of games where he just actually is sort of automatic as he used to look. Um, I think those two are going to be big in helping LeBron and Anthony Davis win the title. I think if they don't show up and they don't perform well, uh, that the Lakers will still win. It'll just be a longer, more difficult series. And a lot of the burden is going to still be put on Anthony Davis and LeBron's back. But I, I think the other thing that we're missing here is the, like, the true veteran-like experience and playoff experience that the Lakers have more than the Miami Heat. I mean, LeBron's been, we've already talked about, LeBron's been, you know, 10 different times. Um, but Dwight Howard's been doing an NBA championship. Rajon Rondo's been do has won an NBA championship. 
Uh, Danny Green's also won a pair of uh, NBA championships. Um, I, I don't think you could say the same in terms of resume for the Miami Heat minus um, Udonis Haslam, who's obviously a veteran on that team. Uh, I, I think that's really going to be a, a big factor, glaring factor that people don't really look at going into this. I mean, this is Harrow's first championship. Uh, this is Bam's first championship. This is Butler's first championship. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to be looking at that kind of game script as opposed to like, like the, like what's going on in front of them. And I think that's going to actually play a very, very, very big role down the stretch of the, uh, like keeping your head right, keeping your mental right, all that other stuff. I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch uh, how the new players deal with their first go around in a championship run as a, you know, opposed to all these veteran players who have been on this certain stage before, whether they've won or lost, but I've been on this certain stage before uh, and kind of know how to handle it, how to keep their nerves under wraps. I think that's going to be very interesting to watch. I think the Lakers have the intangibles edge, I guess you'd call it, because they have LeBron James. That's basically it. I mean, they have so much more playoff experience and especially finals experience. It's the first finals for everyone on Miami, like Luke said except for Iguodala and Haslam. And Haslam doesn't even play, so that's pretty irrelevant. It's basically just Iguodala. And then most of the other players who play, I don't think they've ever even been in the conference finals. Jimmy Butler hasn't, Goran Dragic, uh, Harrell, obviously, Robinson, Adebayo. Like, so that was new for them. And this is even newer for them. So I think the Lakers have a big edge there. But Spolstra as a coach, he's been in the finals before. So I think he, maybe the coaching intangibles edge would go to – Eric Spolstra, because this is Frank Vogel's first finals. But, yeah, I think the Lakers have a lot of advantages going through the series. Okay, so then to wrap things up, I'd love to hear your guys' overall outlook for the series. How you think it's going to play out? Who's going to win in how many games? Who's going to take home finals MVP? Questions like that. So why don't you guys just give me your overall and final preview and predictions for this upcoming NBA Finals? Well, with everything I said, uh, Lakers in five for one. Um, I think if there's any game that the Heat can steal, possibly game one, um, I think LeBron's going to be the finals MVP. And if the series somehow, somehow goes to game seven, I'm just going to make this claim right now. Um, there is no way that the Lakers are losing a game seven. Uh, not, not with LeBron on the team. Uh, but that being said, I, I don't think it'll go to game seven. I think the Lakers will easily beat the Heat to win the NBA championship um, in five games. All right, so I'm going to go with Lakers in six. I'm going to go with Lakers in six. I think Lakers will win game one. Miami wins game two. Lakers win games three and game four. Uh, Miami wins game five, and the Lakers win game six. I think 80 will win the finals MVP. And then in the games that Miami wins, I think Iguodala will score at least 10 points. I think he'll have to score double digits. I think he's the X factor in those games. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Lakers in six. Um, I think the first four games get split. It'll be two and two by the end of game four. And then I think the Lakers are gonna clean it up and win in two games in game five and six. I think LeBron James will easily find his way into the finals MVP uh, category and win another finals MVP. Um, I, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't really see the uh, heat putting it to or pushing it to uh, seven games. 
Uh, I also need to give them a little bit more credit than just winning one and then losing four. Um, I think some of that four and one karma will kind of catch up with the Lakers in the series. But yeah, Lakers in six. LeBron wins his however many finals MVPs he has now. Um, and then, yeah, the Michael Jordan comparisons will start again. I have the Lakers in five. The Lakers are undefeated when they shoot over 30% from three in the playoffs. They're 19-1 and one in the regular season and playoffs on LeBron and AD combined for 60. I think they're, they've only played, been playing like 35 minutes a game through the first three rounds and still one in five. I think if they're playing over 40 minutes a game, they could definitely win, you know, four out of five games against the Heat. So I will pick them in five. It's hard for me to bet against LeBron winning finals MVP if the Lakers win. I'd like to see Anthony Davis win it, but I'm, I would just say LeBron because I think that's just a safer pick. And, yeah, I don't, I don't think Miami's as good as Denver, and the Lakers beat Denver in five. So I think it'll be close games, but I do think the Lakers will pull it out in five. So there you have it. Pretty much unanimous agreement that the Los Angeles Lakers will be your 2020 NBA champions. I think I agree with you guys insofar that the Lakers are an absolute juggernaut. They have the two best star players in the series. And I think it is very, very difficult to bet against LeBron James. But you know what? I really like this Miami Heat team. And maybe it's just because I'm talking with four people who all pick the Lakers and a lot of them who are Lakers fans. But I don't know. There's just something special about Miami. And I think they have been the lower-seeded underdog three series in a row and have won each one of those. Who's to say that they can't pull it off one more time? I think they have the star power that's good enough to shut down AD and LeBron James if necessary. And I think the team behind those stars like Adebayo and Butler is going to be so crucial. They have the three-point shooters that can catch fire on any night. And I think it will be a battle no matter what. And this may seem completely ridiculous, but I don't think it's out of the question that Miami can win this series. So I'm predicting that the Miami Heat find a way to knock off the Los Angeles Lakers in seven games, pull off the incredible upset to end an amazing Cinderella story for the Heat with Jimmy Butler taking home finals MVP. So there you have it. Those are our complete preview and predictions for the NBA finals. We also spent some time recapping a very exciting Western and Eastern Conference finals. And I think no matter what happens, we are all so excited for the conclusion of what has been an epic two months of playoff basketball in the bubble. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode of One Golden Moment. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening to this episode, and we will see you next time. See the skis there.